The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Okay, church family, let's take our Bibles and turn to the New Testament book, uh, first letter of John, 1 John chapter number 3. First John chapter number 3, I'm going to read for you out loud verse 4 through 10. Now look, if you uh, see on your bulletin where it might say something like verse 3 through 8, uh, that is uh, not Christa's fault nor Kathy's fault. Um, earlier in the week I was deciding upon uh, where to break the text apart here, and uh, uh, I originally told them verse 3 through 8, but... Um, I feel like verse 4 through 10 will probably be the best section for us to cover today. So, 1 John chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him sins. No one who sins has seen Him or known Him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as He is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother." Now that's a, uh, that's a massive text and a lot of questions and a lot of things to discern and look in there, and so I'm not sure how far we'll make it in here today, but uh, the, the catechism question that we're supposed to answer today is, what is sin? I was thinking this week about all of the evangelical churches uh, across the country, and I'm, I'm not sure how many churches today will even mention the word sin, much less preach an entire sermon on the question, what is sin? But uh, today, we couldn't get around it. That's what the question asks, and we want to, uh, we want to see what the Scripture says. Uh, no doubt there are multiple ways of, of understanding that. In fact, the Bible says, to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him that is sin. The Bible says, whatsoever is not of faith, that is sin. And yet today, there is a comprehensive definition, I think, here in verse number 4 and following, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So join me for a word of prayer as we enter in upon this time together. Would you ask the Lord to open your heart and your mind to the Scriptures as I do as well. Our Father, we love you and thank you for your kindness and mercy and grace. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to listen to our youth uh, testify about camp 
Uh, Lord, we thank you for the good week and, and unity being drawn in their hearts and the opportunity to serve and work and to even see the, um, the grins on children's faces as they uh, play with them, Lord, and love on them. Reminds me, uh, Lord, that uh, of the words of Mother Teresa who said that we are to be Christ to all people and we are to see Christ in all people. And Lord, in so much as we do this, even to the littlest of ones, we do it for you. So we thank you for that. We thank you for this good music today. Thank you for the opportunity to sing these songs that speak about our redemption. And Lord, we know that you have sent your Son into the world to die for us, to be raised again, that we might have everlasting life. And so I pray today that you would help us open our hearts. I pray for member and visitor alike, for saved and lost alike, and for this poor stammering lips that speak today that you might be glorified through your word, through your son, through your spirit. For it's in Christ's name that we do pray these things. Amen. Hi. My name is Steve, and I'm an alcoholic. Has anybody ever heard words like that before? Something similar to that? Maybe, uh, maybe uh, you have attended AA before, or maybe you've seen a television show where people were in a support group at AA, and uh, if you don't know about Alcoholics Anonymous, then uh, you would certainly understand that in a recovery program, uh, one of the first ways when you walk in with a group is uh, that you introduce yourself by understanding what it is that you suffer from. In fact, AA would say, listen, there's something that has a hold of your life that you don't have control of, and it, it, is, it is tearing your life apart. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm an alcoholic. And there is an admission that comes from that that says, I've come to grips with the fact that there is something in my life that is tearing my family apart, that's tearing me apart at the very root of my soul. In the early 1930s, Bill W. in Akron, Ohio, uh, he uh, had a group. In fact, they were meeting at a church. It was a Christian fellowship. I don't know if you know the background of this, but Alcoholics Anonymous started as a Christian fellowship in a church in Akron, Ohio. And uh, what they were trying to do is take some fallen, uh, wicked people who are just like us, who have addictions and pains and sufferings and sins and things in our life that don't appear on Facebook, don't appear in the pictures, don't appear on our social media, but when everybody else is gone and we are alone and we lie our head on our pillow at night, we know that these things are tearing us apart. And they said, listen, we're going to come together and we're just going to say, this is what it is that we're suffering with. And we're going to develop some sort of 12-step program that acknowledges our need for God and acknowledges our need for the Lord Jesus Christ and brings us to admission and repentance and faith in Christ. And do you know what happened in Akron, Ohio? Several of these chapters of AA started cropping up all over the place. And by 1935 or 36, and right around, uh, let's see, 37 to 39, they begin to put all of this into a book and they begin to try and make this marketable to the entire United States. States, and it's at that point that they begin to change things, right? I was no, no, no longer faith in Jesus Christ, but it was the God for whom you want to think about. 
It was no longer the God of the Bible, but it was the higher power. And Bill W. was frustrated with that. And some of the original believers that were a part of Alcoholics Anonymous, they were torn up over that. But in order to get it published, in order to get all of these things up and running, they had to bow the knee to the editor and change so that it would be compatible with people who were not believers. But I, I want to submit to you today that if we were to go all the way back to the very original statement, and you walk into a room of other human beings, and you say, hi, I'm Steve, I'm an alcoholic. If that is an admission that you're suffering from sin. And I wonder in this room today if you would be willing to look to your neighbor. I'm not, I was thinking this morning I might do this as a, just a vivid illustration for you, but I won't make you do this. But I wonder if you would feel comfortable enough turning to your neighbor to the left. And you say, Steve, why did you say the left and not the right? Because I'm left-handed and everything in the world is for right-handed people. Uh, I wonder if you would feel comfortable looking to the person to your left and from the depths of your soul say, Hi, my name is Steve, or your name, and say, I'm a sinner. It's not just that I do things that are wrong. It's not just that I mess up. It's not just that I do things that are inconvenient. It's not just that I do things that, uh, that uh, I, I tell things or say things that aren't true. No, just, just blow off all of the facade and all of the fake that is in all of our life and just look at somebody and say, you know what, I'm a sinner. And furthermore, it's not just that I do outward actions that are wrong. In deep in my soul, something's wrong. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I wonder if you'd be willing to do that. Far cry from uh, AA, uh, probably a century and a half before that, J.C. Ryle said that the understanding and the deep understanding of our inward sinfulness is the beginning to the road and the path of righteousness. You see, somewhere down in our, all of our hearts, we have to come to the understanding that something is wrong. I, I, in fact, I even think a modern-day example of Ray Comfort. I, I don't even know what you make of his works and all of that, but I, 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 whatever you make of that, I do remember him saying one time that, you know, if you're on an airplane and somebody comes to you and they bring a big, bulky uh, a parachute and they say, here, put this on, but you're riding in first class and you look out and there's no creature like in the twilight zone on the wing and all the engines are rumbling and you've got a drink and a terrible sandwich in front of you, you would say there's no reason to put on a pair. That thing's bulky. It's going to take up room. I'm not comfortable. Why would I put on that parachute? But if somebody came to you and they said the engines are out and you could see the burning wings falling to the ground, you would throw that thing on in a hurry. And I, I think the point that Ray Comfort is making is in order to understand the necessity of the gospel and the redemption of Jesus Christ, we have to get serious this morning. And I'm talking about unbeliever and believer alike, member and visitor. We have to get serious with the idea that we are sinful, fallen, 
broken pre-people. I know most of you don't live with me every, every single day, and, and so I, maybe some of you are even visiting here today. I'm just asking you, will you join me today in a, in a community? Will you come in close? I wish we could all just kind of sit around a table. Will you come in close and be honest in your own life with where you are and who you are? And will you just begin thinking right now, even at the beginning of this sermon, would you be, begin thinking as to by the end of this time together, would you be willing to look yourself in the mirror and say, Hi, I'm whoever you are. And I am a broken, sinful person in the eyes of God. And I need help. I can't save myself. I can't live this Christian life on my own. I need help. I wonder if you'd be willing to do that with me today. Let's look at the text for just a few minutes and let me walk down through here. And what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to kind of try and teach through these verses, verse 4 through 10, and then I'll come back and make a, 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 few, point, a few points. All right, so look at verse number 4. He says, Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. Now you have to begin by understanding here that uh, John doesn't leave any room. John doesn't leave anybody out here. You see, it's everyone who practices sin. That nobody in this room is above sin. Everybody in this room sins and falls short of the glory of God. And, and, and you know, I, there are people who you will meet from time to time. They'll say, no, I'm not a sinner. I, I, I've not fallen short of the glory of God. I, I'm a good person. But that's not what John says. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Look at it. says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Let me stop for a moment and just kind of explain that. What he's saying here here is that this lawlessness is a deliberate, decided rebellion against God and His character and His law. And the Apostle John is saying, listen, when you sin, you are rebelling against the God of heaven. You know, in classical Greek, uh, the word sin uh, here would mean uh, to, um, to miss the mark. Anybody ever heard that, that sin means to miss the mark? You, you pull back your arrow, you shoot at the mark, and sin means to miss the mark. That's a classical understanding of sin. But you know, the, the New Testament authors, they, they take that word and they use it a, a little bit differently. And what they mean is, it's not just that you miss the mark, but it's that you miss God's mark intentionally. You see, there might be room if you say sin means to miss the mark that somebody in this room could say, well, I'm trying to love God as much as I can. I'm shooting. I'm trying to come as close to God as I can, but I just missed the mark by a little bit. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. All of us come short of the glory of God. The Bible says we've all gone our own way. There's none righteous. There's no one that's righteous before Him. And here's the, here's the issue. It's not just that you missed the mark by accident, it's that you miss the mark because you're shooting at your own mark. 
It's not like God has a target on the wall over here and everybody in the room loves Jesus and loves God. And you know what? We just came up a little bit short. It's that each and every one of us in this room turn our back on the mark of God and we say, I want my own success. I want my own relationships. I want my own life. I want to do it my way. And we shoot toward our own mark. And we fall short of the glory of God. And we miss His mark, not by accident, but intentionally. Let me show you uh, something here. Look, look back down at verse number 4. I don't have time to dive into this all today, so uh, just trust me on it and then read it when you get home. Verse, uh, verse 4 through 7 is kind of repeated intentionally in verse 8 through 10. So look at the beginning of verse number 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Look at verse number 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil is sin from the very beginning. You see, the parallel that's going on here is it is not just that our, that our sin is lawlessness and rebellion, but he's saying in verse number 8 that the one who practices sin is of the devil. Now you say, Pastor Steve, are you saying that my sweet little old grandmother, are you saying that my loving uncle that always gives me nickels when I go to his house, but that they don't profess Christ, and they're, they're not believers, but they're just as sweet as they can possibly be? Are you saying that they are lawless and they of the devil? Of course not. I am not saying that. John may be saying that, but I'm not. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I, I, I'm speaking on behalf of him. Instead of getting mad at me, can you just take it from John? John says in the beginning of verse number 4, in the beginning of verse number 8, that when we sin, we are lawless rebellion against God, and we're of the devil. Man, that's hard to take in, isn't it? Connie and I were talking the other day, and I was, I don't know, I was kind of careful. At this church, we don't stand in judgment of other churches. We, we want God's gospel to go out, and we, we love any church that's a gospel-preaching church. But sometimes I'll, I'll listen to sermons online, or I'll listen uh, on the television or whatever, and I feel bad, because I feel like, man, I think these are the kind of sermons i got to preach. What's going on here? Can I just share with you just from heart to heart for a minute? I want you to understand that salvation and relationship with Jesus Christ is not just like, you know what? I like the music at that place. I like the vibe. And you know what? Jesus is what's missing from my life. I need some of that. That'll fill a void for me. I need a religious component to my life. That, that is not the biblical view of salvation in Christianity. Here's a phrase in the New Testament that very hardly ever gets spoken. The Bible says that... We, here's my old English for you. The Bible says that we are at enmity with God. Maybe a, a better translation would say this. You are the enemy of God. Now, if you're in here today and you, don't, you, you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to understand that the gospel and the Word of God does not just come along and say, hey, listen, you're a pretty good person. 
actually, you're not the best person, but you're kind of worth and worthy. And, and you know what? Listen, just add some Jesus to your life. The Bible comes along and it is a complete crash. It is a train wreck. It is a complete reversal of directions. God comes into your life and He says, what I want you to understand is that you are a sinful, wicked human being. And I am incredibly holy. And if you are willing to bow in your heart and cry out to God and say, I am your enemy. I am in rebellion against you. I am a lawless creature. I am living my own way. I'm missing the mark, but because it's I want to shoot at my own mark. If you're willing to have your life radically altered to where you lay everything down before Him and say, everything that I've thought and all that I've been taught and every way that I live my life, it's all wrong. And no matter what, I want to trust you. And I want you to be the King and the Lord and the Savior of my life. And from this moment forward, by your grace, I'll follow you. I trust what you have done for me. Everything else can fall away. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Unless you've come to that kind of place in your life, you are not a believer in Christ Jesus. Salvation is not sentimentality. Salvation is not an emotional decision. Salvation is the place where God takes your life and twists it until all of the juice flows out and there's no fight left in you. And you say, if you don't save me, nobody can. And salvation in Hunter's life may look different in circumstances from salvation in your life for he doesn't have as much history behind his life as we do. But you understand the necessity to turn from oneself and to turn to Jesus is the same at every age. And here's what we want young Hunter to understand. And here's where my heart grieves sometimes for churches, not just ours, but every church. Salvation is not just a one-time prayer that you fold neatly and put in your back pocket and the rest of your life when anybody asks, you say, I prayed and received Jesus. Salvation is when we trust Christ, yes, in the moment of conversion, but that it is such a powerful, life-changing conversion that He gives us a new heart and day by day by day, we learn to follow Him in an ongoing interactive relationship. You say, Pastor Steve, are there times where we're closer or farther away? Sure. Are there times where we fall and we, we sin? Sure. But there is in the life of a believer an inward desire to follow Jesus. And I fear sometimes that I run into adults 
what I want to ask you is, if I looked at your life in the last six weeks, that's enough time for ups and downs and ins and outs and to have a newborn baby and have time to do no devotions and be up at 3 o'clock in the morning, if that's your place in life. But if I looked at your life in the last six weeks, would you be able to say, you know what? Sometimes higher, sometimes lower, but deep in my heart, I have an ongoing interactive relationship where Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. And I'm constantly giving myself over to Him and wanting to walk with Him daily. I hope that you see my loving shepherd's heart today. I don't always bring it this straightforward. But I just want you to understand, when I see some people sometimes and... You know, that they're in church, you know, every once in a while, you know, you see them. It's almost like a reunion, you know what I mean? Like you, see, you see somebody, and then you don't see them for a while. And they, they tell, when you talk to them, and you t- start talking about Christly things or churchly things, and they start talking about the glory days, right? In the center of a young boy's eye, when they start thinking about the glory days are far behind us. and You know, I, I grew up there, I did this, and I did that. But you don't hear anything about what God and Christ is doing in your life right now. I get nervous. Because I fear that what those people might have is a southern form of religion. with potlucks and good times and gospel sings. And as you can see, I like every bit of that. And nostalgic memories. But no ongoing relationship with Jesus where you are moving from the old to the new where you're constantly laying off the old and putting on Christ. I just want to bring to you, what is sin? It is lawlessness. It is the deliberate rebellion against God. Give me a couple more minutes. Let's look at the text. I'm just kind of speaking my heart to you today. But um, I better show you the answer. Look here. Verse number 5. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. You see, if we said from verse number 4, what is the definition of sin? It is lawlessness. It is a rebellion against God. You say in verse number 5, what does sin do? Well, I read where one author said that uh, sin uh, sin, uh, takes away the work of the cross. I, I wouldn't say that, but I would say this, that sin in our life undermines the work of Jesus Christ. Look look back at verse number 5. You see, he says here in verse number 5, you know that He appeared 
in order to take away sins. That where it says take away sins, it's the same reference of John 1.29 where the Bible says that John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came into the world to die on the cross, to take our sin away. And when we continue in sin, we undermine the work of the cross of Calvary. God decreed our salvation through the cross work of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And when we go on practicing sin, we initially say in our heart that the work of Christ on the cross is meaningless. Christ came to die for our sins, and if we continue to do that, then we make Him of none effect. The definition of sin is that that it is lawlessness. Verse number 5 What are the effects of sin that it undermines the work of Christ? Verse number 5, you know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. Verse number 6, no one who abides in Him sins. You say, why does sin continue to exist with us? Because of our lack of abiding in Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that that it's not some sort of mystical passage in the Bible. We're not to take John 15 where we are to abide in the Christ and where He is the branch and we are the, uh, where He is the root and the, and, and the trunk and we are the branches. We are to abide in Him. We're not to take that in some sort of ethereal way. But the issue is here, the reason why we continue to sin is because we stop abiding in the very presence of Jesus Christ. Now, let me teach for a moment. Here's here's maybe something you can take away from today. You can do this today. Uh, Here's a practice that I'd like for you to do. The next time that you feel like sinning, Whatever that may be. You, know, you, you leave here and, uh, and, and you get up on 440 and nobody will let you on, right? And you feel like, you know, giving them a part of your fingers. <laughs> I want you to stop for a split second and I want you to say to yourself, Jesus is in this car with me. In fact, what I'd like for you to do is to find some sort of practice in your life where periodically through the day, you remind yourself of the spatial presence of Christ. Now, that's not a southern twang of saying Christ is spatial. Spatial, right. I feel like sometimes that as believers, we we assent to the doctrine of Scripture without applying it to the reality of our world. Jesus Christ is in this room with us now. I borrowed this from Dallas Willard years ago, but I enjoy um, when I'm talking with children. You know, children ask the greatest questions, don't they? They ask the ones nobody has. A child asked me here one day, they asked me uh, what, what the phone number was to God. So like any child of the 80s, I told him it was 8675309. Now I'm just messing with him. 
I just lost all of you. Here's, a, here's something you can practice. This is what I tell children. When you pray, close your eyes and Jesus will run right up to you. Now, the reason why you don't believe that initially is because you have a tough time equating the spiritual nature of Christ and the Scripture with the reality of the world that's around you. But just as concrete as the pews and the walls that are in here, so the truth of Scripture and the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God is absolutely true and real. So if I tell the little children that, why don't you practice this this week? Why don't you close your eyes at some point, and when you do, ask for Christ to come right up to you. And believe in your mind that He is right there. Now I said, what if I open my eyes? Oh, listen. The Bible says that it's the Bible says that uh, blessed are those who believe and not see. So, there's, got, there's an element here where we're trusting, not uh, judging. So why don't you just close your eyes at some point today and pray and say, Our Father who art in heaven. When you pray that, do you believe that He's like somewhere in the like way out beyond the stars? The Jews understood heaven as the air that's right around you. Why don't you pray it like this? Our Father who's closer than the air that's in my lungs. You see, the reason why we continue to sin is because we stop abiding in the very presence of Jesus Christ. And you say, Steve, that's hard. Of course it is. So why don't you just practice it the rest of your life? Little by little, day by day, hour by hour. One of the things I like to do is uh, I, I'll just, you know, when I'm in the car or if I'm in a room by myself, uh, I just say, Lord, I, I welcome you to be with me right now. Oh, you say, Steve, he's already there. Of course he is. I'm just trying to give you some handles, some, some application for you to work this out in your own life. Of course, God is always present to you. The problem is you're not always present to Him. So I'm just giving you some ways to, to grasp that. Now, now why, don't you just, why don't you just pray and say, Lord, I, I just welcome you right into this time together with me. You're welcome in this car. You're welcome in this room. Lord, I'm about to go into this issue, into this situation where there's people and it's going to be frustrating and the relationships are edgy and hard and I'm not sure what's coming there. And so, Lord, I welcome you just to be right with me, just shoulder to shoulder, right with me. I want to abide in your presence when I talk to those people. I want to abide in your presence. Uh, listen, I know these people are going to be gone. There's going to be seasons of boredom. There's going to be some times this afternoon where uh, sin might want to creep in and temptation. And nobody's around. And I'm struggling with that. And so, Lord, I'm just going to say to you right now, my name is Steve and I am a sinner and I need you. I cannot handle it by myself. I cannot do it by myself. Now, what if you're in this room today and there's never been a time in your life where you have trusted Jesus for your salvation? I wonder if most weeks you feel like I'm speaking to visitors rather than you. I am speaking to everybody in this room today. 
I'm not asking you if you prayed a prayer. I'm not asking you if you signed a card. I'm asking you when you look inward right now, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Are you His child? Are you, are you trusting yourself? Are you banking on yourself? Are you living life in your own power? Or have you come to the point in your life where you say, ah, man, this... I can't go on like this. I need help. I'm a sinner. I'm coming short of the glory of God. I need you. If you find yourself that way today, member, visitor, the best thing you can do is in a minute when I pray for us, right where you are, just, just pray. Hey, nobody cares whether you pray out loud or pray in your mind. You're in, a, you're in a group of fallen people that have trusted Jesus. The chances are people that are, are sitting beside you are on your side anyway. It says, Tim, I've never prayed. I don't know how to do that. Just, just talk to Him in your mind and heart. Close your eyes and say, the Scripture teaches that you're in this room, and if you're in this room, I need help. And I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to lay down. I don't even know all about this, but I know that you died for me. That you took all of my sin and all of the penalty for my sin and you died on the cross and you rose again. And Lord, if that's true, I need that applied to me. I not only need all of my past forgiven, I need something to live with tomorrow. Won't you be my Lord and Savior? You pray from a sincere and a humble heart, broken over your offense toward a holy God. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The God and the Christ and the Spirit who is in this room right now will come to you and save you. But you got to be ready to give Him your whole life. This is not a fire escape. It's not a get out of jail free card. It is a life change. And you would be better off if you're not ready for that today to be honest with God and say, I'm not ready. Then you would to fake it and walk away from here with just religion. Sin is rebellion against God. And one day God will judge sinners eternally. My encouragement to you today is to throw all that you have onto Jesus and trust what He did for you, taking that judgment on the cross. For you.
for me. We'll come back at another time and finish up these verses. There's so much in there, so many questions. If you're a believer here today with me, won't you look into your own life and say, Lord, there's some areas where I have some besetting, I have some practicing sins, and what it's doing is undermining what you've done for me. I give those to you, and I want to live a righteous life with your help. Would you do that today, believer? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Musicians are coming. In a second, we'll stand and sing together. I want to encourage you right now, member, visitor, believer, unbeliever alike, why don't you just pray, talk with God? Wouldn't it be refreshing in your soul if you can't confess to anybody else in the world? Why don't you just say to God right now, Hi, my name is Steve. And I am a deep, dark sinner in need of Your grace. I can't save myself. I can't fix myself. I need You. If you're not a believer, pray and ask Christ to save you. If you are a believer, the Gospel doesn't start or stop that salvation continues every day. You can feel that right now in your own soul when you pray that. My name is Steve. I'm a sinner. And I need you. Why don't you thank Jesus today, believer, that He did save you. That He's washed you. That He's cleansed you. Why don't you give over to Him what you're holding on to and rejoice in His freeing, marvelous, saving grace. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.